0: Hi there, welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast about public speaking and speaking up. If you struggle with saying what you want to say on stage, on camera, or in conversation, you're in the right place. I'm Angela Lucier, your host. I'm also an author, professional speaker, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. If you want to practice the tips you learn on this podcast, you can check out a Speaker Sisterhood club as a guest for free. Learn more at speakersisterhood.com. Hey, hey. So guess what? This morning, it was 48 degrees Fahrenheit, and I was not prepared for that for my walk. I have to say, I don't love the cold weather in the morning, although I love warm socks and I love cozy hoodies, but I don't love getting up when it's cold out. Really hard to make that happen. But fall is here, so we will embrace the season. (laughs) Along with fall, I have a lot of big plans in the works. I've been doing a lot of planning over the summer and there's some new stuff rolling out. I'm going to be announcing that we're going to be holding Speaker Sisterhood recitals which means that members can sign up and deliver speeches in a a Zoom meeting that anyone can attend and watch. So it's kind of like mini TED Talks, and it's a chance to hear some inspiring speeches, learn more about Speaker Sisterhood, and for the members to speak in a larger platform. I'm also rolling out a new course in a couple of weeks called Public Speaking for Shy Creatives, which I've been working my butt off on. And I'm going to do a whole episode on the making of that course because it's unlike anything I've ever done before. And even though I've created like hundreds of courses, I have never done it this way. So I want to share some of the mistakes I made and some of the things I learned. And if you're interested in building a course, I think you'll be interested (laughs) in this process I went through. (laughs) Oh, so anyway, lots, lots coming up, but I will introduce today's guest and then we will get right into it. Dr. Molly Keen is an educator, co founder of Cojourn, and co author of the book Cojourn Harnessing the Power of Connection to Tune Into Your Wisdom, Achieve Your Goals, and Create the Life You Want published in September 2019. Together with co-founder Carl Hendrickson, they created CodeJourn in January of 2013 to help make changes in their own lives in a more structured and connected way. They were astounded at the results and started offering the program to friends and family. It has now expanded across the country and beyond, currently in over 48 countries and 42 states. Molly is a lecturer in intergroup dialogue at Mount Holyoke College, a budding accordionist, pug enthusiast, and eternal optimist. Uh, I just want to add that this episode topic was interesting to me because we have all been experiencing... A heightened level of isolation due to the pandemic. And when I learned of Molly and her work, I thought this is a really important subject to talk about right now, because what she does is highlight the value of connection and support and having a partner in your success. So if you don't have someone like that in your life right now, I hope you'll listen to this episode and possibly consider creating a relationship like that in your life where you can be accountable and seen and witnessed in your successes and in your growth and commitment to whatever you set out to do. So um, I really enjoyed Molly's perspective and this conversation, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Molly Keen. Welcome to Claim the Stage. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is a great conversation. I'm, I'm just—I've been looking forward to it since we set this up because the work you do is so much about connection, and I know that in the world right now, there's so much isolation and people are feeling so disconnected. So it feels like perfect timing to have this conversation and to learn more about the benefit of having somebody on your side when you're doing things that might scare you or could change the direction of your life. So before we get into your work, I would love to get some background on how you got into this type of work. What is your story? Well, I think the
1: overarching piece of all of my work has always been a fascination with creating opportunities for human connection, and you know, originally I um, did my doctoral work in social justice education, specializing in dialogues across race or other social identity differences. Um, I studied at UMass Amherst, and my my dissertation was on the role of personal storytelling and the impact of that on student learning across different social identity um, across different social identities. And through that research, I really got to see and read a lot about reciprocal vulnerability and how to create that, how to create that across power differentials and what it means you know, for different folks um, in different spaces. And the work around cojourn, which I'll be talking about, you know, in more depth today really came out of, of that piece of wanting to create a framework for myself and other people to have opportunities for more reciprocal vulnerability and places where we can show ourselves and where, others.
0: Yeah. Where, where did your original desire to learn more about personal connection come from? Cause I don't know that everybody has that inherently. <laughs>
1: You know, I think I've always, you know, my my undergraduate major was social psychology, and then I studied college student development and counseling um, from uh, my master's program, and so I was I've always been focused on humans and human behavior. Um, it was when back in two thousand and six, I participated in an intergroup dialogue on racism in Springfield, in just a community dialogue, and. For me as a white person that was my first moment of really being able to connect and understand the realities of systemic racism and i think what happened was building more authentic relationships with folks of color in the dialogue and hearing their stories and sharing my own story which was really a story of ignorance and unawareness um that shifted something in me and really made me become really passionate to learn all I could about race and racism and eventually be an educator supporting that conversation in other groups and you know through my research looking at the power of what happens when we're with another human And hear their story, as opposed to reading it on paper or learning about it in a more disconnected way and what happens how it ignites empathy. It lights up the same parts of the brain as the person who experienced the story and and it shifts something physiologically in us and I think my own experience really was has led me to this fascination
0: your dissertation sounds so interesting, and I kind of want to read (laughs) it. What, what were some of your main takeaways when you're thinking more about how personal stories can be used as a teaching and connection tool? Mm.
1: What was really interesting, so I had half white students and half students of color, broadly. So, um, and everybody learned something from the stories, so the learning was very different, right, and specifically when looking at race and racism, so, um, but what was so interesting was that everybody seemed to benefit in some really profound ways at creating those spaces for those types of stories to be shared and to be heard, and the ways in which it really connected people to each other and then also to the material in a different way than, than in other means. And interestingly, at that time, I was really adamant that social justice education had to be done in person. And at UMass at the time, they were trying to move some classes online. And people said, oh, you have to write an article, you know, related to your dissertation, because this is a helpful argument about the embodiment of being together in spaces. And, you know, I've sort of eaten my words a little or shifted since post pandemic, where everything had to be done online. And I was able to see that we can forge some of those connections, you know, in an online space for me, I I don't, and this is just my conjecture. There's been no research done on this. I don't know that it has the same power or, you know, physiological implications as being in a space physically with people, but it can still be really powerful.
0: Yeah. I would say from my experiences. Before the pandemic, being able to speak in spaces you know, where I was face-to-face, someone was sitting five feet away from me, I experienced much more of a high from the connection that I felt with the people sitting in front of me versus the speaking I've been doing online in this pandemic world, where at the end of a speaking engagement, I feel really exhausted because that connection just doesn't feel um, like it's really happening in the same way, and so your point about the physical space being important, I'm definitely encountering as a speaker. And even though I'm using a lot of stories and creating an emotional connection, like it just it doesn't have that same physiological response, like you mentioned. So I'm interested in in Cojorn because we we're talking about the importance of connection and accountability and support in accomplishing goals, and. Just as like a starting point, can you explain what your company is and how it helps people?
1: Sure. So Codron is really it's a program for compassionate and judgment-free accountability partnerships. Um, so we what we do is we train. Well, we help people pair up and then train them to use our framework um, to create meaningful movement in life. And so that can be moving toward a long-term goal, trying on a new way of being, navigating a transition. And, And we created the program back in 2013, and I can share, share more about the history of it, but really is a way to help ourselves. So my co-founder's name is Carl Henriksen, and we did it as it one of those year-long experiments, and we kind of put it together and did it, and then it organically started to spread. We told some friends and family, and, and it's expanded, and we now have people, um, I think we're up to 49 countries and 42 states um, using this model. When you asked about what the Coderman business is, we are still developing and figuring out exactly <laughs> what our business um, is. And it's just in the last year or two that we've really decided to try to, to create this into a business. We just were registered as an LLC like four months ago. So that all is new. Mm-hmm.
0: So, why would someone sign up for this? program or the book, what what would be the motivation behind that?
1: Often people, so Cojourn is based in two pillars. One is a um, following through, right? A wanting a hand to actually get, get yourself to do some of the things that you really want to be doing and maybe are struggling with. And then the other pillar is um, the value of human connection. And so typically people come into Cojourn either they want to build a closer relationship with somebody or have some one more source of support in their life. And or they have a long term project or goal or an area of struggle that they they could
0: benefit from. And do you match somebody match the the partners or do they match? How does that work?
1: Originally, when we created Cojourn, we really encourage people to find someone in their life
0: to do the program with.
1: So we had a lot of adult siblings reconnecting, doing Cojourn. My mother did it with her college roommate from 40 years ago. We've had adult children and parents do it, colleagues do it. two graduate students doing it together and we really discovered a need that a lot of people don't have somebody in their life who is interested in this type of accountability program or doesn't feel like feel comfortable asking and so we've been experimenting with partner matching which is exciting we've we work now with a number of organizations and so we'll do partner matching within an organization, so we had 160 faculty and staff at UMass do cojourn last year. And I'd say I think about 60% of them signed up for the partner matching piece of it. So they're building a closer relationship with someone within the organization. But um, starting in November, we're gonna be launching a cojourn membership community where we will offer partner matching within the community for other people who are signing up. So people will have
0: a choice. I love that. so uh, I was looking at your website earlier and you said that your work is about helping people accomplish their goals through accountability, connection, and support. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm, I'm a coach, I've been a coach for 10 years. And so I understand that having someone on your side to turn to when things get hard is, com- is, is very valuable, but I'm wondering from like an academic standpoint and from the point of view of someone who wrote a book on this subject, what are some of the benefits that you've. Learned and have implemented um, that come from accountability and connection and support. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you
1: know, accountability is one of those really simple things, right? and and it has a lot of different meanings. And so you know in in our research, we distinguished or we found that the literature distinguishes between legitimate accountability and illegitimate accountability. Oh. I know it's interesting and illegitimate (laughs) accountability is being accountable for something that you didn't necessarily choose or opt into being accountable for and or by someone who you didn't choose to be accountable to. Like what's an example of that? I would say maybe if you start a job and then your job uh, duties shift which I think is happening to a lot of people you know post pandemic right now and maybe you're reporting to not the person that you had originally chosen and it's not going well and all of a sudden you're accountable for all of these tasks or bottom line things that are all of a sudden feel way out of anything that you ever consented to or bought into originally um I think it could be in the school environment right being accountable for something you're not you know as a say as a graduate student accountable for a paper that you're you, you're not fully invested in in any way and and so in the contrast is legitimate accountability and that's being accountable for something that you're choosing and you're being accountable to somebody who you want to be accountable to and you know research shows that you're you're often more successful with mechanisms of legitimate accountability not to say that illegitimate accountability is bad or wrong, or, you know, but it, it tends to. And so co is really a mechanism for legitimate accountability. So each participant chooses a broad area of their life that they wanna focus on, we call it the guiding theme for a set period of time. And then they're choosing their partner or opting into partner matching, right? Saying, I want someone to do this. And I think my, my favorite accountability hack that I like to share is um, there's research that shows that if you tell somebody you're going to do something, write it down and then follow up with that, you're 76% likely to do it yeah. as opposed to 35% likely if you don't set that accountability mechanism in place. And so I use it all the time. Like one area of struggle of mine is just like cleanliness or just order in my home. I live alone. And as soon as I'm stressed or busy, like it just go, it's bad. Right. And so I'll like call my mom and be like, Hey, I promise you, I'm going to set a timer and spend an hour straightening up tonight. And I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow. And so just that little piece can actually get actually gets me to do it when sometimes I'll just talk myself out of it.
0: Interesting. You know, I've actually heard There was some research done on something that happens in the brain. When you say to someone, I want to write a children's book and in describing the children's book and the project, somehow your brain is getting the like dopamine of already accomplishing it because you're talking about it. And so once you sit down to do it, you're no longer interested in it. Have you ever heard of this? I haven't, but um, that's fascinating. I would love to look into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have had that happen to me before, like I'll get an idea and I'll share it with someone. And then later that day, I'm like, I'm not really as excited about it as I was like four hours ago. And maybe it's just one of those fleeting things, but I had heard that, that research and I thought maybe there's something to that, but what you're saying is more like you're creating a real deadline with a a measurable goal and you're saying it out loud. So there's like reinforcement happening, not just some big picture of like one day I would like to do this thing. Right. Um, I I also read about your eight core components to creating a successful partnership. Can you share what those are and kind of what the benefits are of each piece?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the eight core components, one of them, um, was about three of them have to do with the connection piece and five have to do with the follow through piece. And so the connection piece, um, one is peer support, and so when you get together with your partner, your role is to really support each other and give a non-judgmental space for the other person to figure out what they want and need to do for their, for their goals, and so you're not giving them advice. And that, that is often a shift and that can be a place where tangles can happen in other accountability partnerships because some might, someone might say, oh, you really want to do that? I think maybe you could, you know, and then all of a sudden you feel judged or, and so that is, um one of the core pieces where, of course, there's flexibility. You know, if you have an idea for your partner, you can offer it, but it always should be consensual. So peer support, confidentiality, which is simple, but so you know that whatever's shared within the course of a check-in, it's, um just stays between the two of you. And then active listening. And this sort of was drawing on a lot of my work with dialogue. And, you know, I wrote a book chapter on listening, <laughs> and it's still like one of the skills that I have struggled with the most. And I think so many of us with so many competing demands for our attention and to really sit and be fully present with someone is such a gift. And so, you know, Cojourn's designed around like being fully present as much as possible with your co partner. And we create a model where you record your goals for your partner or you, you record your partner's goals for them in a shared document. So it helps with active listening because you're actually responsible for paraphrasing them and writing them down.
0: I love that. And I'm wondering if you have gathered any feedback from the participants who've said that this program has helped other relationships because now they're able to be more present with, uh, you know, their other friends, uh, spouses, you know, because they have these new listening skills.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. We've had a number of people say that in interviews. And, you know, we talk about, you know, when we do our training on Cojourn about the, the, Urge to fix it. Sometimes, some of us are socialized to really when they're listening to somebody I'd be like, "Well, all you need to do is call the," you know, and um Cojern really helps disrupt that in a way. And they said that that helped in other places to be like, "Hey, I, do you want to hear my thinking?" <laughs> you know, to be yeah. a little bit better than jumping in. And I'm more of a relater with active listening, so really quickly I'll jump in and kind of steal someone's story. Be like, "Oh, that happened to me too," and I get overexcited. And so this has helped me learn. To maybe give someone a little bit more space. Yeah,
0: that's helpful. It also gives that person the chance to have their moment without feeling like it's been overshadowed by the other person's story, (laughs) even though it's in the spirit of excitement and connection. (laughs) What are some of the other core components?
1: So those the the three I just shared were the ones about connection and the other five are about um following through. And so the first of the five we already talked about is just accountability, right? Setting up that simple structure. The other is making a commitment. And so we what Carl and I, when we created Cojourn, we did it to um in January as a way to keep our New Year's resolution for a year. And so we created a guiding theme and we met weekly for a half hour for the entire year. We found as we move through, a lot of people choose to do it for a year. Um, 12 weeks is now the main length of time that people are making a commitment to, mainly because it's not as scary to um, say yes to something for three months as opposed to a full year. And then I think it was like 90% of um, one of our pilot groups ended up continuing to meet for a year with our partner, but like kind of committed saying yes to the the 12 weeks. So you're making the commitment to yourself and a partner to meet weekly for around 20 to 30 minutes. So you actually meet and talk with your partner every week. And then we even have a, a contract that you both sign with the start date, the end date, your time to meet, which of course can be adjusted as needed, but it's really helpful when people like treat it like they would a staff meeting at work or something that show up for weekly. And Mm so um, another core component is um, self-compassion. And so, you know, that, that was such a huge piece. When Carl and I created Code Jordan, we were both like a a hot mess in general. I was struggling, he was struggling. And we were like, we can't have one more thing to feel badly about ourselves for at this point. And so we really oriented it toward like the belief we're all doing our best in every moment. And like, how can we make it when we report on our goals, gentle and like forward focused rather than something to beat ourselves up about. And that, you know, since then we've discovered, you know, Kristen Neff's work and other researchers on self-compassion, and there's a lot of um, research to back the value of self-compassion in making change with ourselves. And we're a lot more likely to do what we want to do when we can be compassionate. And so this is an opportunity to practice that skill. And in our interviews, people often say, it's the first time I haven't had a lie, (laughs) you know, like when you show up. (laughs)
0: I I definitely could work on my self-compassion because when I don't reach a goal I'm like pretty hard on myself about it I think that's part of being ambitious or being so goal-oriented is like all of a sudden I've let myself and the entire planet down because I'm a week behind on something (laughs) do you have any tips for letting yourself kind of have that (laughs) self-compassion
1: You know, I, it's funny, I think just remembering, like even um, because I do diversity, equity, inclusion, consulting and training as well, we always highlight self-compassion there that when we orient from self-compassion, our unconscious bias is actually less. Like there are so many benefits of self-compassion so that for me, when I notice myself beating myself up, and I think this is, almost universe, or a lot of people struggle. So you're definitely not, not alone in that, right? Um, I try to just notice it's happening and remember the benefit of self-compassion, even if I can't fully do it in the moment. I'll put my hand on my heart sometimes, and just that physical moment of shift Um, makes a difference. And then there's some really excellent self-compassion break meditations, which I can send you after one by Krista Neff and one by Chris Germer that I like to do. One's three minutes, one up to 10 minutes. Um, And if I'm really beating myself up about something, I'll listen to it. I'll often, you know, it'll often bring me to tears in the moment and it can help shift it. But I think what's so nice about Cojourn is that your partner is
0: there to remind you
1: because <laughs> it can be so hard to do for ourselves and yeah. so easier to gift that to somebody else.
0: Yeah. I can include the links to those meditations in the show notes too, so everyone can listen to them. Um, I love that self compassion is baked into the culture of what you're doing because it is so critical for um, for growth and for moving forward in your goals. Like we have to be nice to ourselves in the process of, of getting where we want to be. And that's often not talked about because there's so much about hustle and commit and don't give up and you can do this and boss babe and all this language around just go, 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 go. And it's like along, along that journey, There are moments where you doubt yourself and there are moments where you go, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Am am I the right person? You know, and you have these, these things where it's like, yeah, self-compassion could go a long way in that. So I'm like, just my heart feels really happy hearing that you considered that and, and included it. And, um, I wonder like when people are working together and they go off course or they decide three months in, I want to change my goal or I want to quit this because I've done enough work on it. And I've realized this isn't actually where I want to be going. I want to do something else. Do you have something in your program that helps people kind of refocus or like, is that just part of the process? And they just kind of like create a new path for themselves.
1: Depending on the length of time that people are working on their goal with, we we have a guide companion guidebook that goes with so the book tells you how to do code journey, And then we have a companion guidebook. Um, and we have brainstorm. you know, we have guided questions and a process to go through on deciding your guiding theme, which is a broad area that you want to work on. So if, for example, you wanted to write your children's book, your guiding theme wouldn't be write a children's book and through, because you, that, that's something either you do or you don't, right? And so maybe you do it in a month, maybe you do it in a year, but it's more of an intention. So your guiding theme might be prioritize creative pursuits in my life, right? I actually did that for a year. And when I was working on the Codron book, and so I worked on that, but I also played my accordion more or dressed in outrageous outfits or put myself on an artist date to a movie by myself, or, you know, things like that. So there's, there's, um, a place for m- multiple things kind of to fit under it. Um, we always tell people to make Codron work for themselves. So we have these ACOR components. We have the, the structure of you make your guiding theme and then three to five weekly milestones, you know, toward that guiding theme and people know themselves. Right. And if someone really wants to have two guiding themes or to, you know, shift something in any way, we always say, you know, listen to yourself in that. So I think it, it's really individual. I've tended to, you know, I'm in my eighth year with a different partner every year of doing cojourn, and I've tended to stay, with my guiding theme, but it's always been broad. And sometimes I think of creative ways. Like if I wanted to run a 10K and I'm working on <laughs> creative pursuits, I might be like, well, that boosts my creativity when I run and get endorphins. So I'm going to make goals around that too. You know, like, so there's a lot of um, ways to be creative <laughs> with working with it.
0: Yeah. You're really reminding me of the importance of language too and using words like guiding theme. It feels um, just so much more inviting than goal and deadline Mm -hmm. and saying, pursuing creative pursuits feels like so vast, like, Oh, that could be so many things. Like you said, running a 10 K or playing your accordion. There's so many things that fall under that. So it leaves a lot of room for imagination and dreaming and just going into it and seeing what it becomes. And that's, um, that just feels like exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, you co-authored the book code, Co- I keep saying Jorn, but it's Jern code like journey, right? Code Jern, yeah. harnessing the power of connection to tune into your wisdom, achieve your goals and create the life you want. And I'm curious about a couple of the words in the title, tune into your wisdom. And I'm wondering how, how that plays into all of this. And what's, what, what did you, what do you have to say about that? So there's a beautiful
1: quote from the author um, Parker Palmer that says, we all have an inner teacher whose guidance is more reliable than anything we can get from a doctrine, ideology, collective belief system, institution, or leader. We all need other people to invite, amplify, and help us discern the inner teacher's voice. And so we see Kojourn as a way to have a weekly time, right? So you kind of set the direction you want for yourself. And it's almost like a weekly time to come with a partner, tune in and see, am I headed in that direction that I set for myself? And how can I adjust? What are three to five little things I can do this week that will keep me in that direction or support me in that direction? And I think in the busyness of life, so many of us can lose track of where we're going. And so there's something about, you know, I can tell, say myself, Oh, Sunday nights, I'm going to journal about my direction for the week and, you know, make sure I never actually do it. Right. But Angela, if I knew you were waiting on the other side of a zoom for me at seven o'clock on Sundays, you know, I would, I would do it. And so it's almost a way of building in a chance to tune, tune in in that way.
0: I love it. And I I love that you shared that quote too. And I've been thinking a lot about kind of that same sentiment of like, you can keep looking for information out there in a book in a podcast in uh, a program, but really just being able to tune into what's going on inside is your greatest teacher. And I think I'm like learning that lesson every month. I've been learning it for the last 20 years. (laughs) I think we probably, we all are. It's like, how can we get back to ourselves? And <laughs> every time I'm like, I think I, I think I know, I think I know myself now the next week I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm still figuring. It out. <laughs> so I, I hear how your program can contribute to that. I love that. Do you have any stories to share about how you've, your program has helped the participants in, in kind of shifts that have happened in their life or, just any kinds of goals that were accomplished that they didn't see were possible for them before they started with you.
1: I, there's so many stories. I think that is my favorite thing about working on co right? I, I've done it myself for eight years and I have my own shifts and journeys and things, but hearing from people of things they've done or things they've accomplished or things that they've navigated has been, has been really powerful. Um, you know, I'm going back to the book. We have ten guest contributors who wrote about their own journeys with CoJourn, and you know, one of um, one of my friends and colleagues, and um, you know, who, who lives locally, who's a who's an incredible coach. Um, her name is Ruby Maddox, and I'm um, she did CoJourn for the first time about five years ago, and she made her guiding theme go full throttle. And each week, she did the thing that scared her, or put herself out there in the new in a new way. She was trying to start a um, nonprofit for leadership opportunities for young black men by taking a group to Ghana and um, experiencing a couple of weeks there. And um, and now five years later, it is a thriving nonprofit, and she's doing incredible work. And she said that first year, she did things like. Okay, send three emails to set up an advisory group, right? Or show up at the networking event. Or, and so she, you know, she says in the piece, if I was scared, I did it anyways. If I um felt intimidated, I did it anyways. And each week, you know, it it sort of broke things up into little baby steps for her. And another of the contributors wrote how they used COJREM to support their gender transition. And during that year, um which is a major transition, and like you know, they, they they say in the um, or he says in the in the piece about like writing a letter to his mom to tell him, to tell her that about this transition or um, changing a birth certificate, which was a really major and difficult thing. And then we had someone write in who was a parent of a young child and working on presence and trying to practice, you know, being more present, being more patient, and taking care of herself more so that she could be in that place. Um, I can say like a really recent example from myself. I, you know, I shared with you before the podcast that I'm struggling with allergies and I always, you know, I get hit in the fall. I call it the fall hollows every year by mild depression. I don't feel very well. It's a combo of allergies being really busy and then just the change. Like I don't want to get out of bed in the morning because it's cold and I'm tired and, and i just made a goal with my co journ partner um this this guiding theme for me is um fanning the flames of vitality for myself and so wow <laughs> week, i'm making little goals right about my own vitality whether that's physical in vitality in relationships mental and um and it sounds so goofy but I, the first thing I live alone and the very first thing in the morning in the fall is the hardest for me, right? The alarm goes off and I'm like, oh, and so I made a goal to snooze once and do gentle stretching under my comforter, you know, and listen to 10 minutes of this kind of cheesy affirmations (laughs) that I found on uh, like Audible which also make me giggle cuz the person reading them it's it feels almost like a borderline saturday night life skit <laughs> and i'm all about affirmation but so i do it and i've done it a few times and what it does for me is it i giggle a little bit right and it actually helps me adjust it doesn't feel so harsh getting out of bed and it reminds me of my connection that I have to somebody like I'm like, oh, yeah, I told her I was going to do this. So I'm picturing my co-journ partner in the morning, which is often a time where I feel really alone. And so um, so it's a teeny thing and it's a little like a little embarrassing, <laughs> but it also has made a big difference for me. And so that's an example on a very small scale. Um, and one final example, just because I've claimed the stage and the notion of you know what it's about a couple of years ago. I had a goal to, to do a Ted talk before I turned 40 and my 40th birthday was approaching and I had never done one and nor had I actively pursued doing one either. But I remember that that had been a a goal, just like I'm trying to hit all 50 States by the time I turn 50. So I'll probably be making co about that in in the next, you know, the next five years. But I ended up inviting 150. It was like the year, two years after I had finished my doctorate. I invited like graduate students I taught. I invited all of my colleagues, all of my friends. So 150, 200 people got invited to come and hear me do a TED talk, which was about human connection. And um, I made a lot of coaching goals leading up to doing that, and giving myself permission to take the time to write this. It was we called it a TED TEDM talk. My best friend made like TED letters out of red cardboard and they set up the stage. And afterward, we had a dance party with a DJ. And so um, and right before I almost threw up and I was like, What am I doing? What am I doing for my birthday? This is awful. And then afterward, I felt incredible. But it was an example of doing something that felt
0: terrifying
1: and something I really wanted to do. And I don't know that I would have done it without setting up that structure.
0: I love that you shared that story because it just, it kind of gives um anyone listening permission to just have a wacky dream and not to say that doing a ted talk is a wacky dream but you you got to close to 40 and said i still want to do this so i'm going to do a birthday party <laughs> like invite all my friends and do a talk and to some people they might never have that idea because it just it's not what like a lot of people do but you're sort of painting a picture of all the possibilities that can come from just having dreams and following through on them and your story about wanting to, you know, have more vitality during the fall hollows. Like, I think that there's just like so much creativity in that and so much fun and playfulness. And it's like a way of approaching life that is unique to you while also like sharing it with another person in a trusted partnership where you can get that support and connection. And it just sounds so special and perfect and fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of my core values is joy. (laughs) So I always try to like that and i think carl and i've always said um part of the mission of cojourn right is for it to feel fun for people like and feel like something they get to do rather than have to do and supportive and of course it's the hard times right but to have a tether or an anchor during those as well but we um all of our process of writing the book we would do goofy dances and laugh and make sure it felt joyful to us as we put it out into the world which has been a gift of working with him
0: That's such a great reminder too, because sometimes it can feel like grueling to work on stuff, you know, I just got to get this done. And it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. So thanks for sharing that message. Where can uh, listeners get your book?
1: The best place to order our book would be through our website, which is www.cojourn.org C-O-J-O-U-R-N. And on there, we have links to different booksellers. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, other places. Um, People can always contact me. Local people in Western Mass can contact me directly um, at connect at connectatcojourn.org. I have copies here at home that I can also sell of that. And then our companion guide and workbook is also um, available online and also as a download. Uh,
0: Yeah. is there anything that you're working on now, any programs, anything you want to promote or invite people to, to check out? Um, we would love to
1: tell people about our membership program, which we will be launching on November 6th. And so it will be up on our website in the next couple of weeks, but people can, um, come in and there'll be a group launch on how to do co So if folks don't want to read the book, they can get all the info they need and the guidebook. And we'll be offering partner matching and monthly check-ins as a group and other perks throughout the process. So we're really excited about initiating that.
0: That sounds really fun. I have one other random question. You have two pugs, Wilbur noodles and poppy dumpling. Is that correct? (laughs) Can we just talk about those awesome names and where those names came from? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, so Wilbur, Wilbur noodles was my first, I got him about three and a half years ago. And I was deciding, I mean, it was naming him was a very serious process. (laughs) And and, and I was deciding between Wilbur and noodles. And so I figured I would just give them both. And, you know, usually it's Wilbur for short, but the under 10 crowd loves his full name. And he sort of, I walk him downtown and, you know, he's often flocked when people come flock over to us and (laughs) he brings me so much joy. And then Poppy Dumpling was a pandemic puppy. I got her in December to help get through last winter and I needed a name to match Wilbur Noodles. And so I knew she was going to be Poppy, but um, so we, we tacked on the dumpling part.
0: (laughs) Those are great names. I'm just so like happy to read them and know that those are names in the world to talk. (laughs) You are so fun. I can see why joy is a value for you. Well, um, anything else you want to share before we sign off? Thank you for this. And
1: you know, I know I shared this before the interview, but I love what you're doing. I admire um what you're going after. And I'm excited. I'm gonna um look into signing up for Speaker Sisterhood and maybe I can do a real TED talk someday. (laughs) So (laughs) Grateful for you, Angela, and um, for what you're putting out there into the world.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And just to give you a heads up, brand new, I haven't even announced it yet, but we're going to be doing Speaker Sisterhood recitals quarterly online. So, if you join you can give a speech to a large audience um, through a, one of our recitals so <laughs> something to look forward to molly thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom and your joy and your creativity and all that you're you're building it's just it's, it's wonderful it's helpful and it's something that the world really needs I hope you loved today's show. If you did, a great way to say thank you is to share this episode with your friends on Instagram. Don't forget to tag me at Angela Lucier and Speaker Sisterhood at Speaker Sisterhood. Well, that does it for me this week, my friends. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.